great joy of being around this cathedral is you can never be unknowingly late with the dongs of the clock ringing. I know it's time for us to start. But a hugely warm welcome to St Paul's and to today's Sunday Forum. I'm Tricia Hillis, if we haven't yet met, and I'm the canon pastor here at St Paul's. And it's my great pleasure this afternoon to chair our time together. Um, As we begin, there's just one health and safety notice that we're always asked to give. In the event of a fire, this has not happened since a particularly memorable one in 1666. (laughs) Everyone should please calmly leave the building by going past the cafe and out the entrance you probably came in, the northwest crypt door. So on to our event today. We're delighted to have returning to the cathedral the Reverend Dr Sharon Prentice. Sharon is Dean of Black and Minority Ethnic Affairs and Intercultural Mission Enabler based in the uh, Diocese of Birmingham but acts for the Church of England. Previously, Sharon has led an introductory theology course at St Melitus College. She's worked in mission for the Diocese of Southwark and has worked in research and development at the Salvation Army, as well as a host of other faith-based organisations. She's an honorary research fellow in the Department of Theology and Religion at the University of Birmingham, and is also a member of the Church of England's Commission for Minority Ethnic Anglican Concerns, or SIMIAC, And it was actually at a lively discussion, one Simiac meeting, that the idea for this book came together. It emerged through Sharon's own contribution, and she then also took on the huge and impressive task of herding cats as editor and drawing together the involvement of contributors with origins from around the whole globe. Sharon herself recalls how when she was a young girl with a very vivid imagination, the lives of the historical saints were a great inspiration to her. But what bugged her was that when she read about them, none of them seemed to look like her. In the images given in those books, in the stained glass windows, they all seemed somewhat male, and somewhat white. Today, Sharon's going to enable us to celebrate together the true diversity of the body of Christ and all God's saints. So Sharon's going to speak for about 30 minutes or so. We'll be inviting some others to contribute as well. Then we'll have some time for questions. We'll finish as we always promise to do, promptly, just before two. At that point, a colleague from our shop will join us, and so if you wish to pick up copies of the book that Sharon's edited, you can do so today at a discount. And what's more, she is very kindly willing to sign them for us. So, would you please, friends, join me in welcome Dr Sharon Prentice. Thank you so much, and can I say thank you for probably foreshortening your lunches to come here and to listen to me this afternoon. As Tricia alluded to, one of the things that struck me growing up 
and I used to love watching black and white movies. Uh, and one of the movies that really struck me was The Song of Bernadette. Don't know if it, people nodding away. And The Maid of Orleans. Um, there were stories of saints. And although I loved the stories, I could not myself identify with them. And at the time, as a teenager, it wasn't a huge thing. It was just something that was in my mind. And so as I became older and had an interest in the church and how beautiful their architecture, looking at glass windows struck me that they weren't very representative. Now we know they are often just a reflection of the times that they're in. They were built. But something resonated within me about here I am, I'm an Anglican, um, the first time my grandparents went to an Anglican church was in 1643, which was a bit of a shock to me as well. Um, and they were part of an Anglican church in Nevis called St. Thomas's. Now, St. Thomas's was a church that had uh, a sort of senior landowner, but also had slaves. And so my family are in that graveyard. They're all around. And so for me, it was really important to be able to see and to hear stories of people who'd been to church, who had lived and expressed their faith. So that's where my interest came from. But as Tricia said, the idea for the Book of Saints really emerged from a couple of sources one of which was this discussion that was had at com the Committee for Minority Ethnic Anglican Concerns, CEMIAC. And the second one, interestingly, was a comment given to me by a grandmother of a five-year-old. And this five-year-old had been to a church and said, I'd love to be in the Nativity, but I don't see anybody like me. And so it was after that time that I was resolved, really, with the gentle encouragement of my colleagues to, to actually put something together. CEMIAC, the Committee for Minority Ethnic Anglican Concerns, has been in existence for nearly 30 years. And it's worked tirelessly to encourage participation of black, Asian, and minority ethnic people. And although we are seeing a church which is much more diverse, we have a lot to do. We have a long way to go. And as a committee, this idea that we have to do something to mark our years became to the fore, and this is why the book was brought into existence. And a few of us thought about highlighting the lives of holy people whose stories we all knew about, but we just weren't sure how widespread they were. We knew that in the majority of cases they originated outside Europe, and even those that we knew of, like St. Augustine, often his heritage, coming from North Africa, is not really acknowledged. And the other thing is, when you look at pictures of people like Tertullian, Augustine, 
some of the early church fathers and mothers, they look very European. And so we thought, wouldn't it be good if we told, retold their stories, putting it into a context of where they came from? Because we live in this wonderful, really diverse society, and there's something about owning that and saying, actually, this is about us. And so, a question that underpinned the project is the idea that the church could be much more truly universal and welcoming of all if holy men and women were pictured as people of different ethnic and racial and cultural backgrounds. After all, our biblical characters and those early followers of Jesus were, surprise, surprise, Jewish. And those from the surrounding areas did not look European in their features. And so, what's happened in the intervening years, and what happened at the time that the pictures of saints and holy people were drawn? We know much of this is about power and privilege and the way things are depicted. But also, what is it that's happened through history that we've never really questioned religious art in that respect? We saw in the 50s and 60s, with the rise of political consciousness, the questioning of some premises on which the art was based. And while that's been good, there is something about us as people of God and the way that we inhabit our role and are confident to express who we are and in terms of mission and evangelism, that's really important. And it's about all of us owning that history that is rich and diverse. So this question was something that was quite significant. And the reason why it's become even more to the fore is, as you are aware, identity, immigration, a sense of belonging, all those things are key nowadays. They're, they're in most of our political rhetoric and our political discourses. And so it is really important for the church not to be afraid to grasp some of these things and to talk about it not only from our history, but also the implications of what it means for peace, reconciliation, and to be a community of faith. And so many of us have heard of St. George, yes? Yes. And um, probably quite swayed by stories of the dragon um, that every school child knows about. But did you know that St. George's uh, father was actually Turkish and that his mother was from Palestine? Did you? I think some people are aware of that, but other people, and they kind of assume that this quintessential saint is as British as they come. And while we embrace St. George, actually he has come from quite an eclectic background and, you know, the whole idea of migration and wholly owning being a part of another 
nationality is something that isn't new at all. The fact is that George would have something, I think, quite profound to say to our British society today. He moved from Cappadocia to Palestine following his father's death, and he was probably employed as a palace guard for the Emperor Diocletian. So he knew what it was like to come from afar, to be in a strange land, to travel in a strange land, to offer and to be a part of something greater than himself. But at the end of all this, it was his faith. He was led by God. He testified and witnessed to doing things of God. And so, as a community, I wonder, with everything that's going on in our world today, with all the tensions and the difficulties, what does it mean to be a part of a community that is diverse, that is not afraid to embrace some of the difficulties of what that difference brings? And so Stephen Cottrell, Bishop Stephen Cottrell, writes in his introduction something which is quite telling. He writes that over the years that our history has been whitewashed and what that means is that we haven't been able to have the conversations that we need to and particularly not just at a political level but what it means to be a holy people he writes christian people approach the term saint with a certain trepidation on the one hand we are all saints and it's a word that Paul uses to describe those who, through faith in Christ, are members of his church. From the very first martyr, Stephen, to those whose lives are violently wrenched from them in our own age of persecution, Christians who have witnessed to their faith, even to the death, have been remembered so too church leaders and pioneers, teachers and evangelists. Their names fill our calendars and the stories of their lives continue to inspire and direct. In the manifold details of 10,000 times, 10,000 particular lives show us what a Christian looks like. And it's in this respect that the trepidation falls away because all saints and all are called to be saints. Insofar, to be a saint is not to be especially chosen or equipped over and above any other Christian disciple, but simply and supremely to have fully become the person one is called to be. As W.H. Auden observed, in his wonderful poem, The Praise of Limestone, that saints don't need to care what angle they are viewed from because they have nothing to hide. And he goes on to explain that if we are to see being saintly and holy as something that everybody has, then that means everybody. That means the youngest and the oldest, the person from the global south and near as well. And so we may be surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, 
but the black and Asian faces in the crowd, he writes, have been hidden in the fog of white male Anglo-Saxon bias. And the faces that can be seen have all been spiritually enhanced to conform to a white European theological hegemony. Now, my role is not to make people feel guilty. My role is to say, let's have an honest conversation about this. I was brought up in Chapel Town in Leeds, and my neighbours were Jewish and Sikh and Hindu and Polish and from all around the world. And I was under the mistaken impression that was the norm. I really thought that was the norm. And over the years, what I've seen is more and more segregation, more people living in their own particular areas. And so if we are to be the people of Christ and be prepared to be reconcilers and peacemakers, we need to be able to feel confident to ask the questions about why is this happening? Is this what God wants? What does holiness together look like? And one of my favorite scriptures is from Revelation 7-9. It talks about every tribe, nation, and tongue. And if we purport to be a church in this country, every tribe, nation, and tongue should be represented. And so I bring myself to ask the question, so why saints? What is a saint? And you may have a particular view about saints, but I like to think of saints like this. Saints are us all. If we read in Romans 17, verse 1, the Apostle Paul is writing to the people in Rome, and he says this, for all those who are loved by God should be called a saint. All those who are loved by God. Well, I think I'm loved by God. In fact, I know I'm loved by God. And sometimes we struggle with that concept. But what it says is it's a much more expansive view of sainthood than we normally have. It's not somebody who is sort of holy with a ring around their head and a sort of wonderful smile on their face. It's somebody who is wholly loved by God and is obedient to God and willing, willing to pay the cost of whatever that means. Those holy ones with a range of stories and experiences and backgrounds come from a myriad of places and it's motivated by their faith, by that love. They are able to live contrary lives to the prevailing norms, expectations, and customs of the times. When I watched that wonderful film uh, about Joan of Arc, I would think, can I, can I be so convicted that I would do that? And actually what the Bible says is that when we need the courage and the strength, we are given it. I don't think anybody starts out with the idea that I'm going to be a saint. Do you? I don't think so at all. I think we are given the strength and the courage when we need it the most. 
and we are able to step in and to do those things we are called to do because of it. What the folks in this book, and I will tell you a little bit about their lives in a minute, what they had in common was the separation of their stories, not just from their sense of just who they are, but who they are became enmeshed in God, in the love of God. It wasn't just about the individual, but it was about the individual, their cultural identity, their call as a Christian, their need to follow Christ and to express his love. And as though it's evident that history has relocated them, ignoring or reframing their narratives, the stories that you're about to hear are just as powerful because they resonate with each and every one of us. And as a result of that, the impact of their unique contributions to the faith becomes much more owned by us all. So, without ado, I'm going to um, just say one of the saints that I wrote about, and then I'm going to invite other people to come up to talk about it, their particular saint and their particular re reflection. One of the people I wrote about was St. Hadrian, Adrian of Canterbury. Now, Adrian was um, the first abbot of Canterbury who had come from North Africa. And what was surprising to me was the fact that he'd been offered to be uh, archbishop. He was actually offered by the Pope at the time uh, in the sixth century to be Pope of Canterbury. And shock he turned it down, horror of horrors, he actually turned it down. I'm not sure, that, maybe that's happened, <laughs> but I'm not sure that many people would do that. Such a prestigious post. But what was interesting about Hadrian was that he found his vocation as a teacher. And as somebody myself who loves being amongst others and learning, this really resonated with me, that he turned down the opportunity to be quite powerful, and in those days quite rich, to continue teaching and supporting and being part of the formation of other people. And that, I really got that. You know, all the centuries later, I thought, great, here is somebody I could identify with. And so here are my reflections. Hadrian strikes me as a man of integrity with a strong sense of purpose. As an educator, I'm intrigued by his insistence on remaining an abbot so that he could teach. Hadrian may not conjure up the same image of holiness as other church fathers. Little is known of his writing and his influence was confined to his students. But those he taught wrote of the impact he had on their lives. His skills in a variety of subject areas reflect not only the versatility of his willingness to engage with knowledge and culture, but as a follower of the faith. You see, to teach is more than to impart knowledge or skills. It concerns the inspiration of hope and the love of learning.
Hadrian was cultivated, that was said of him, but he shared his extraordinary knowledge with others to enable them to understand what was meaningful to their lives. And by engaging with the world of his day, Hadrian embodies excellence in teaching as an aspect of being Christ's disciple. He was a man who lived a holy life and who used his great ability to found several schools for the education of others. And so I concluded that today, central to the vocation of teaching is still the virtue of inspiring the desire to learn in the face of challenges. And these challenges are social, economic and cultural. And to recognise that education is not just about maintaining an economic system, but helping others realise their dreams, their potential, and to become all that they are created to be. So that's a little bit about Hadrian. Adrian. And in the book, what is there are prayers and also some reflections. So you can actually use them to think about your own situation um, because it is about sharing this with everybody. So I'm going to call on um, Calvert to come up and to say a little bit about why he was inspired to write about um, Abba Moses and, and then Sheila and Rachel as well. I think there were two reasons why um, Abba Moses came, yeah, came with a thrust of interest for me. One was my, my dad uh, was named Moses, and um, I and he was an Anglican. Uh, I have, I still have his prayer book, and uh, with his address uh, in his home in in Nevis. And when I look at that, I think, yeah, that's an interesting name, Moses, uh, and. And the other reason was Moses, Abba Moses, his lifestyle was a radical change or conversion. And he, he was a rugged chap and he lived um, for God the best way he could. And so I write uh, my reflections. I, I was born in Chapeltown, Leeds a tough inner city neighborhood that experienced riots and um, unrest and had a reputation for crime and uh, all these things that are still uh, here in society now but living in Chapel Town then was um, you, you knew it wasn't right and it could be better and people could be better and it reminds me, Abba reminds me of the, the many young people that I grew up with and many older people, that, uh, men, uh, young men, who were rough and tough <clears throat> but then changed uh, because of God, because of circumstances in life and uh, tried to steer uh, other young men uh, people uh, in the right way and Abba does this 
you know, he, he, he struggles with forgiveness and when he, he finds faith. He struggles with this precious thing that God can actually forgive him. But he does accept that. And he lives. And he lives in the present and in the future, but he also lives in the past of his sins. Um, and he struggles. And I think that's, that's true today. He, he's bold enough to share his faith to those he meets, and he does it with enthusiasm and passion. So, I, And I think of many young black men or young people, regardless of colour, that are doing that today. Some have bigger platforms than others. Recently, Glastonbury storms in leading thousands of people in reflecting of the grace of, and goodness of God. So I see Abba in today's society. Uh, many people touched by God lived rough and tough lives, but uh, you know, um, allow God to change them. And it's working. Uh, society is changing. The wonderful thing about writing uh, and being part of this project was the many people that were, took, took part in this. Um, because it wasn't going to be a dry hagiography, uh, biography of saints, we wanted to embody this, and I think we did. Um, and I'd like to invite up um, Sheila, Sheila um, to just read a little bit of what she's written. Sheila was one of the most fantastic people that I could work with because she was inspirational herself. So, Sheila, would you like to come forward and read a little bit about your contribution? I have written on two saints. One is from Mexico and the other one is from my mother country, India. Uh, from Mexico I have written about the miracle of Guadalupe, which some of you might have heard about. It's Saint Juan Diego Cuatlatotzin. And from India I have written about Saint Alfonso, who actually comes from my home country, India, and also surprisingly from the state from which my family originates, from Kerala. Uh, my, I want to just read my reflections on St. Juan Diego, because uh, Mexico is at the forefront of political debate today. As recently as a few years back at the American um, elections, there was a talk of building a wall and this continues. And in this climate of political and social hopelessness, Juan Diego's importance to the people of Mexico and all those who feel powerless cannot be underestimated. He speaks alike in accents that common people going about their business in the marketplaces 
and in the tea houses and those in seats of power in Mexico can understand. It is the age-old truth. God raises up saints from the most unlikely of places and people. In February 2016, when Pope Francis made a visit to Mexico, he encouraged the people by a moving reflection on the gospel account of Mary's visit to her cousin Elizabeth. He spoke of Juan Diego, a poor indigenous man who felt worthless but to whom a sacred mission was entrusted. Hector Segal, the novelist wrote, the great saint of Mexico, and this can be the great saint of India, the great saint of the UK, the great saint of America, the great saint of wherever, will be a, a poor man who in these times of neoliberal economics would be selling gum on the street and would be written off as an idler by the bourgeoisie. Thank you. And finally, my friend Rachel, who's a poet and a writer, will come and tell us a little bit about who she was inspired by, a African-American Episcopalian priest called Polly Murray. I've known Sharon quite a few years and when she asked me to get involved in this project I thought yeah saints that that sounds really interesting I love saints you know and I I remember seeing that film of Joan of Arc that um that Sharon mentioned and being greatly inspired by it and I thought hang on this is a project Sharon's involved in so it's going to mean quite a lot of personal involvement. It's going to change me in some way, and I must admit, it really has changed me. I mean, the, the challenge I set myself was to find a saint that, was, that I hadn't seen in a, in a book that wasn't one of the famous ancient saints that we're all familiar with. And so I chose... It, it took a long time, but I, I found... Polly Murray, who um, I, it appealed to me the idea of a, a Christian who walked this earth at the same time as me, albeit in a different country, totally different culture, etc. Um, and that kind of big, it brought her in, into being a real person, not something that I'd read about in a in a, a book. Um, I know that all the saints were real people, but for some reason that was important for me. So, Pauli Murray was unknown to me when I embarked on the search for a saint. I knew I wanted to write about a female saint, preferably one who, was, who had been alive and walking on this planet at the same time as me. The more I read about the life and work of Pauli Murray, the more astounded I was at the fact that I had never heard of her before. Such was the significance of her involvement and contribution to the civil rights movement of 1950s and 1960s America.
So, if you want to find out more, read the book. <laughs> but I just want to finish. Um, just, just there's so many strands to this book. It's about embodying what it means to live together. It's learning from our history, our Christian tradition and culture, and also to realise that we are part of this great cloud of witnesses. The men and women identified in the book are not just models of grace and virtue. Even in in their diversity, they were ordinary folk like you and me who had a profound belief in Christ and his kingdom and thereby making a difference. More importantly, they reflect what it is to be human. Their stories talk about suffering, overcoming severe challenges, missing opportunities, having angry tempers, that sort of thing. But their stories are our stories. Their lives were transformed and were progressively transformed by the Spirit of God. And in reading about them, we join in this universal fellowship that transcends time and space. We become that part of a great crowd of every tribe and tongue. And so I want to finish with words from St. Paul, opening greetings in his letter to the church at Corinth. And this is for every single one of you. To you who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be holy, with all those everywhere who call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Thank you.